welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And today, as well as all through Lent, we are going to be doing something different than what we normally do. Normally, I'm sure you probably know, but if you're joining us for the first time, then you may not. But normally, we will talk about lectionary stuff. Now, it may happen that this is on, on the lectionary, whatever. But for Lent, because our community has lent services a weekly lent service and there's different preachers for each week there is a different preacher for each week and different topics we are going to spend time with those preachers and we are going to talk about the topic about which they will be or have just preached about that week and today's is peter so it makes it really easy but coming up if i can find it so the rundown is, this week it's you, Peter Constantian, who it's is me. from Longs and Crusoe. Next week, David Green, who is also a Methodist, and he is at Plains UMC. Hey, are these all men's Methodists? No, they are not. They're not. They're not. Then Eric Hill, who is at Pleasant Hill and Rockwood Methodist Church, and I'm very much looking forward to that. He has not done one of these before. Okay. Um, Todd Donatelli, right across the street at St. Andrew's Episcopal. Jay Lee, who is, is he technically your boss? Technically, yes, some kind yeah. of a boss. You can be your boss and your friend, though, right? Yeah. Okay. Boss, friend, colleague, Jay Lee. Technically, not, district superintendent. That's what he is. James Marsh, we know him, friend of the show. And Jeannie Hoax. And she'll be the last one. She'll bring it home. She's got the tough one, though. She's got good, it's like good Friday, right? Well, what she's doing? technically, Maundy Thursday, since these are all well, on Well, that's on Thursday, but isn't she talking about good Friday? She probably will have to. Yeah. And I so, think we all kind of have to talk about Good Friday. I think we're to. we're going to talk about Good Friday today too. Aren't, okay, are we not? He's on the cross. Yeah, so we're talking about the the events occurring on Good Friday Day, not necessarily about Good Friday as an entity. Okay, so we can't take too long because when we get done doing this, I have, have to, go, to go do this. Yeah. Yes. And so, and I think our our desire in this. Uh, to follow this series is um, to just get gain some of the insight that we hear from members of the Canton Lectionary Group and 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 their reflections on on Lent and on these seven last words of Jesus spoken from the cross or on the way to the cross. And so, for most for the for most of the time, we'll probably be talking to these preachers after their sermon but court was gracious enough to invite me to speak about my sermon before my sermon which is really helping me hone the message for today see i wouldn't do that that would drive me nuts because i'm thinking like you know i need to be getting in my correct mind space thinking about what i'm going to talk about what you do you are helping me getting get in my correct mind i'm just pointing out that we're all different yes we all operate in different ways so the way i'm going to do this and the way that i'm hoping that I'll be able to continue to do this with the rest of the rundown is to come at it as if I've never heard it before. Mm. And so in doing so, um, it's weird because we've all heard all these verses before. Even the Christer crowd that only shows up for Christmas and Easter has heard these verses. As a pastor, I find it hard to read these passages, like literally read them, because I know the story so well that my mind starts to fill in the words. So I'm not actually reading the words on the page, and I can stumble over my, my words sometimes. Yeah, it's tough. 
but I think it'll be enlightening if we can pull it off. So that said, lectionary or not lectionary, here we go. And we're going to be Eastering you to death for the next, well, however long Lent is. What is it, five weeks, six weeks? 40 days, right? Well, but we're not doing 40 shows. But anyway, the rest seven, of these I think episodes, it's seven weeks. Six, seven weeks. However many of these episodes we have left, we're going to be on and near the... We're going to be cross-adjacent, mm-hmm. either on it or around it, and we're going to be hitting it hard. So, Peter has selected verses from Luke 23, and I cannot remember. Am I reading or are you reading... I will read. Okay. So, uh, to cut a long story short here, the seven last words is our themes, and they're not specific words, but phrases uh, that Jesus speaks either from the cross or from the ground on his way to the cross. The words appointed for this Thursday that I will be preaching on, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. But in order to get there, let's uh, read some of the context. I'll start with Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 25, and then we will jump to verses 32 through 38. Maybe you can read that second section. Okay. Listen now for the word of the Lord. The whole assembly got up and led Jesus to Pilate and began to accuse him. They said, We have found this man misleading our people opposing the payment of taxes to Caesar and claiming that he is the Christ, a king. Pilate said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, That's what you say. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no legal basis for action against this man. But they objected strenuously, saying, He agitates the people with his teaching throughout Judea, starting from Galilee, all the way here. Hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was from Herod's district, Pilate sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. Herod was very glad to see Jesus, for he had heard about Jesus and had wanted to see him for quite some time. He was hoping to see Jesus perform some sign. Herod questioned Jesus at length, but Jesus didn't respond to him. The chief priests and the legal experts were there, fiercely accusing Jesus. Herod and his soldiers treated Jesus with contempt. Herod mocked him by dressing Jesus in elegant clothes and and sent him back to Pilate. Pilate and Herod became friends with each other that day. Before this, they had been enemies. Then Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people. He said to them, You brought this man before me as one who was misleading the people. I have questioned him in your presence and found nothing in this man's conduct that provides a legal basis for the charges you have brought against him. And neither did Herod, because Herod returned him to us. He's he's done nothing that deserves death. Therefore, I'll have him whipped and then let him go. But with one voice they shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that had occurred in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. They kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time, Pilate said to them, Why? What wrong has he done? I found no legal basis for the death penalty in his case. Therefore, I will have him whipped and then let him go. But they were adamant, shouting their demands that Jesus be crucified. 
Their voices won out. Pilate issued his decision to grant their, their request. He released the one they asked for, who had been thrown into prison because of a riot and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. All right, so do I go ahead and just start reading now, or do we want to talk about that and then read? I said go ahead and read it. We'll talk about it. Okay, so there is the setup. 32, and what am I reading to? 38. 32 through 38. Two others also, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place that is called the Skull, they crucified Jesus. There were the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by, watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews, and thus ends the reading for today. Thanks, Court. You're welcome. Thank you. So, if I'm coming at this from the perspective of someone who's heard, never heard the story, and I'm doing this from the perspective of a modern-day person, I just got one question at first, and that is, so what? I mean, obviously, the guy got what he deserved. Look what it says. He was stirring up trouble. Mm. He was running around telling people he was a king. And I know... That Pilate says, well, he's not guilty. But on the other hand, Pilate does have him flogged. So he must have done something. Hmm. Because you don't get punished if you don't deserve it. Interesting. Uh, I believe that there are probably many perspectives one could take as someone who had not heard this story before. And That's the, the one I went with. The one that you chose is one that doesn't seem to be concerned with the suffering of innocent people. No. No, not at I'm, all. I'm looking at it from, <laughs> from the perspective of someone who picks their political side and runs with it. So that's okay. That's it. Well, well, that's important actually because I think um, one thing that the Christian story does that I think a lot of Christians don't acknowledge, or perhaps we just we we know it so deeply that we don't have to talk about it, is mm -hmm. that the Christian story is actually attempting to train our minds and our eyes to see the suffering of the innocent victim uh, and to take offense to it. Your perspective as somebody who's not sure that uh, there's a, any big deal about this I yeah. mean, is probably one that a lot of people shared at the time that Jesus was crucified. Because the reality is that in that time uh, the 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 people in power could kind of kill with, uh, with impunity. Yeah, with Take, reckless abandon. And the reason I chose that, this way of looking at it, there's two reasons. Number one, we have trained ourselves to read Genesis, or Genesis. We have trained ourselves to read Jesus' innocence into this. Hmm. And there's no guarantee that the first readers had that assumption. Hmm. And, no, and we've had thousands of years of that grained into our heads. And so I want to give our listeners a chance to see it differently. But number two, think about it from their perspective. Your leaders have said this man has done something wrong, and that is a powerful thing to try to overcome. Mm -hmm. 
we get the inside scoop. The average person looking on who ends up shouting, crucify him, crucify him, did not have that take. Right. They only had what they were spoon-fed. Yep. Like most of us, like we get our news from some source, and we don't look at it from any other angle. Yeah. And so we just take what we're spoon-fed. If you're in that moment, odds are what you're being fed, unless you're one of Jesus' disciples, is going to lead you to say, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas, crucify him. Yeah. So how, how, So what? Well, let's talk about the accusation. I think help it, it you know, if, if, we, if we just skip to the cross and to those words, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I think impossible to understand what this means. We don't know what they're doing either. Yeah, yeah. we don't know what they're doing. So, but the way that we read this with the beginning at the at, at chapter twenty three, verse one, and ending with chapter twenty three, verse thirty eight, where it says where the where the notice above him, the formal charge against him, read, "This is the king of the Jews." Mm-hmm. We see that this is about kingship. Yeah, this is about authority. Well, it starts out, it starts there, and then it changes, and then he gets back. Yeah. So the original the original accusation was he's telling them not to pay their taxes. Mm-hmm. And Which is something that only someone with authority could could do. Bingo. Somebody who is challenging the authority of Caesar. Yes. And the assumption is, don't pay the, the taxes. Still pay your taxes, just pay them to me instead, because I'm the rightful king. Mm. That's the original accusation. And That's that, the accusation that the chief priests think is going to work in Pilate's court. And then it doesn't. Yeah. So then they change it. Mm. Well, he's still stirring up trouble. Yeah. And the 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 so the the Roman. The Roman Empire and the Roman legal system was very concerned. I mean, actually, probably less corrupt than uh, most modern governments. I would say and people have a hard time understanding or believing that. But like the not Ro- be less brutal, not less brutal. But the Roman legal system was uh, uh, like very uh, focused on following the rules. And Pilate would get in trouble if he put someone to death that didn't have it, that for which there was no cause right mm-hmm. he the 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 governors were beholden to this law as well yeah um, so he's trying to think I think he's thinking probably not uh, because he's thinking charitably but because he's really worried that this is going to look like an abuse of power yeah. and it's going to get him canned as a governor uh, the, but the but the claim is about kingship it, it doesn't well I'm still not clear about why it doesn't work. But, the accusation? Yeah. But they, like you said, they do switch to this accusation that he's causing uh, an uprising. Stirring the pot, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 Greek, or the Greek word is used as stasis mm-hmm. or chaos or like tumult uh, when the people rise up. And this is something that the Roman Empire was very concerned about throughout the entire empire. And... In, and they had a history of, of brutally suppressing any kind of riots. And especially, well, not especially, but around the time of Passover, which mm-hmm. is when this happens, mm-hmm. their attention turns to Jerusalem because yeah. that's where this pops up year right. in and year out. And, and it makes sense too, right? The festival of Passover is a celebration of God's liberation of the mm-hmm. people from enslavement. And everybody who was pil- was a pilgrim coming to Jerusalem at the time was 
was thinking about that story, the story of the Passover, and they couldn't help but make connections to the present moment, to the occupation of the Roman Empire, and wondering, is this going to be the year and the moment where God delivers us from slavery and oppression to a new pharaoh? So that's, that's your backdrop. Yeah. You have this, this longing for freedom from the Romans. And then you wind up in Pilate's court, and yet it's him who is setting the instigator free. Mm-hmm. And that's when the accusation shit. That's the an- answer to your question is why it doesn't work. It's because of Pilate. Mm-hmm. Because Pilate says, you know, I got a problem with this guy. Right. I don't know if he actually did or did not have a problem with him, but legally, yeah. he didn't have an official problem with him. Right. Then he kicks it to Herod. Comes back to Pilate. Yeah, he doesn't want to take the blame for this. If he can get the local king, mm-hmm. even if he's a puppet, to make the call, then that absolves the governor of responsibility. Yeah, he washes hands of the whole thing. But Herod sees that coming, and he sends him back. Yeah. He doesn't want to play that game. So Pilate then, again, putting on my ignorant hat, Pilate just seems to have no other recourse. Hmm. And so he said, it, it almost seems like he's, at least in my reading, like he's been beaten into submission. Like, I don't want to do this. Right. But because the crowd is amassing, I'm going to. Well, right. He's in a situation where they're accusing him, accusing Jesus of stirring up rebellion, of creating a riot. Pilate finds this to be false, but then by declaring that he's going to just release Jesus, that actually triggers the potential for a riot. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Which is what he's trying to avoid. Exactly. So now he's in a situation where, you know, in order to preserve the peace, he has to order this person to be killed, even though he doesn't feel like he ought to have to do it because he's got these two competing interests of following the law and also keeping an uprising from happening. If I were Pilate, there would be no Christianity today. Why is that? Because when people chant things, I do the opposite of what they're chanting hmm. automatically. Yeah. Gideon made a bunch of his little fo- soccer teammates really upset on day one because they started chanting to do something. And he goes, y'all can keep trying, but it's hmm. not going to work. Hmm. If you chant, he does the opposite. Oh, my gosh, the parents were so mad that I didn't give in to their kids chanting. But uh, anyway, I've, that's just become my, my go-to thing from my time as working as a children's pastor yeah. If they chant, do the opposite, and you'll you'll break them up chanting. Yeah. So if I was Pilate, they start chanting, crucify them, Jesus never gets crucified. Maybe, Christianity isn't born. Maybe not, but what might have happened if a riot broke out? Uh, either you've got uh, a lynching, where Jesus gets lynched anyway mm-hmm. by the crowd, uh, and whether or not you do, if there's a riot, uh, the, the governor's compelled to... Uh, pacify it the way that the Romans do which is sending in a legion and killing everyone. Mm-hmm. That's that's how they suppressed riots in other places. Oh yeah, they put them down with authority. And in doing that in a holy city during a holy festival would have been, to use this word that we keep using today, a strategic failure. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been incredibly um, it, it would have caused a war. It really would have. So um, you know, he's in a tight spot, Pilate. Pilate, yeah. Yeah. But let's take a look at Jesus and and um, and 
And I, I think what we need to do, first of all, is acknowledge that the accusations against him are actually true. Like, they're accusing him of being a king. And he is a king. Yeah. And uh, because he is a king, he has authority to forgive these people. Which we haven't got to. To pardon these people. Um, so we're, so, so they, 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 they place the order for crucifixion. And, you know, commentators have, have mentioned about this passage how, you know, it really looks like Jesus is on trial. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from a, a, br- a larger perspective, a eternal perspective, the perspective of God who has uh, anointed this person, Jesus of Nazareth, to be king of the universe, mm-hmm. to be king of the world. Um, it's actually Pilate and the Jewish authorities, the chief priests, who are on trial. So as opposed to them trying him, it is them on trial before him. Yeah. And it's a very strange-looking trial. Is it them, or is it the systems of the current global situation? Yes, both. And that's why the the New Testament writers are careful not to uh, be very clear that it was... I mean, we do say he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Like, Mm -hmm. we name these people. But we also, if we read the, the New Testament epistles... You see the, 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 the writers, Paul and others, careful not to say it, it was just these people. Yeah. They, that's why they use the terms powers and principalities, because there's something beyond the individuals themselves. It can be systems, if you want to critique this from a Marxist perspective, or you can, or it can be demons, if you want to critique it from like a uh, Pentecostal perspective. Mm-hmm. But either way, there are, there are forces that exceed individual human beings that are off that are manipulating people who believe that they are in power to challenge the authority of God so humans and the cosmic forces combine Jesus is now sentenced to death on the cross yeah on his way to the cross we meet two individuals hmm and Luke Thieves. is careful to point out that they were guilty of something. Let, yeah, what is this? Let me see what verse you're talking about here. 32, right? Yeah. They also led to other criminals, other criminals to be executed. Not human beings, right? They let, you know, and this word criminal gets misused in our modern day culture to minimize the humanity of people who are being sentenced. Um, but that's the word what that you're implying is that when we hear criminals, we don't think person. Yeah, we yeah. think the action, not the human being. Exactly. Okay. Yeah, I think that's an important point. I wanted to put some attention on it, but go ahead. Yeah, and so uh, you know, for better or for worse, Luke uses this word to identify these people. They also led two other criminals to be uh, be executed with Jesus. Uh, and when they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. So I think I think that, again, trying to put on my first time reading this hat, as if that were possible, one thing that stands out to me is that we have defined, we have worked hard to define that Jesus is innocent, hmm. or at least not admitting to guilt. It's as you say. Hmm. I'm not saying it, you are. And yet, in the moment when he is being crucified he is right there with those who are guilty 
Hmm. And it is, it is, it is touching and also vivid that in this powerful moment, he's right there with common humanity mm-hmm. who is just as flawed as anyone. And so if you think about this from a God become flesh perspective, I want my Savior to be right there, quote unquote, in the trenches, experiencing the raw and ugly humanity hmm. that perhaps Jesus didn't have to, mm-hmm. but is. Yeah. From the aggressor's standpoint, from the, from, from the position of power, to take Jesus, who some claim is an innocent human being, mm-hmm. and to render him. Remember, we don't have uh, social media in these days. There's no way to do a smear campaign in such a short amount of time. But to convince the people that he's guilty, how better than to frame him with people who are guilty? And to give him a public death befitting pretty much only insurrectionists. Right. Those who would strike out against the Roman government. So if anyone had any reason to trust either the Jewish authorities, the chief priests, and or Pilate, to see that these two groups have determined together through whatever means they have that this person should die on this cross in this place with these two people, if you had any respect for authority or trust that they made good decisions, then you might believe this person is guilty. Yeah. And I want to say that, like... What, even though Pilate may have been um, not uh, not convinced of Jesus' guilt, the Jewish leaders were. Yeah, they they said he claimed, and this is I like this, this verse is really important to me. Verse two, he has claimed that he is the Christ, a king. And so, oftentimes in our modern, like for Christians who have grown up in the church, we try we try to we I think tend to separate what it means to be the anointed or the Messiah or the Christ with what it means to be a king. I do that. But the Jewish leaders in their accusation those are parallel. Those are those are an identity. He says he claimed to be, to be he claimed to be the Christ, comma a king. Yeah. Well, so I, in their minds it's a clear. A form of king. Yeah. Right. Because the, the the Messiah's one role mm-hmm. is to set the people free. Yeah. And well, I shouldn't say the Messiah. I should say a Messiah's one role because yeah. there are many. Yeah is to set the people free, and by doing that, becomes the leader. It's more like a judge. Yeah. But it is a form of kingship, yes. Right. And, and so they saw this as a challenge to their authority and to the authority of the governor, Pilate, and to Herod. And so in their minds, he was guilty. Mm-hmm. And I want to take it a step further and say that they considered him a thief. He, he is somebody that they don't believe has authority who is coming to take authority from them. Yes. He is... He, his very existence is a threat to the power that they have. They being the religious leaders, Rome, or both? Both. Okay. And Pilate's not convinced of this, but the, the, the chief priests are trying to convince him of this. So now Peter, who has been trying to educate me why my initial assumptions were wrong, has now agreed with me on my initial assumptions that Jesus is guilty, but from a completely different standpoint. Yeah. 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 Because my assumptions was that the accusations they made were right because they made them. Mm. This was the reading this as a virgin reader thing. Yeah. Your, not assumption, but I think incredibly deep point, is that yes, he's guilty 
of what they said, but not because they said it. Mm. Uh, there's there's no truth in their accusations. Yeah. Except that, unbeknownst to them, the accusations happen to be tr- true. Yeah. But yeah. not for the reasons they were making them. Right. And, and the disciples would be disappointed by the way that Christ is becoming king. Mm-hmm. Let's be clear about that. The disciples wanted Jesus to be king. And they wanted to be him to be king in the traditional sense, in the sense that they understood that that means wielding power and authority and military might. And since we're in Luke, once he fixes his gaze upon Jerusalem, yeah. they know that he's going to be coronated. Hmm. And then the entry into the city, the Palm Sunday stuff we celebrate, hmm. that just cemented that in their minds even more. Yeah, And this is not the ascension to the throne that they were expecting. Exactly. It is not. So they did they ascend to the quote unquote throne, the cross. Yeah. And then he utters these phrases that we've been working towards this whole time. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Who's them? Good question. He could be talking about the thieves that are on either side. Could be. Or he could be talking about the people who put him on the cross. Or he could be talking about all of humanity. Mm-hmm. Or all of creation. For all time. Yeah. So that may include us. And Although I doubt it. I don't want to try to say one thing or another there. I think that it's important for us to preserve the mystery about that. But what I do want to emphasize and what I plan to share with the congregation is that he has been given the authority to forgive mm-hmm. by right of his kingship. Okay. And, and the cross is his throne. Um, it doesn't look like a throne that we would expect, but it is the throne that that God chooses. That he has been thrust upon. Yes. By the principal kingmaker. Yeah. Who is God. There's a um, rhetorical question that Jesus asks uh, bef- before this, obviously, while he's teaching still and not on the cross. When he talks about the parable of the vineyard owner, and the vineyard keepers. Mm -hmm. And this is a story that's just a a, a thinly veiled criticism of the religious authorities and the political authorities of his time, where he says, a certain man went off to become king and left in charge of his vineyard, uh, uh, certain vineyard hands, and asked them to continue the work. Uh, And then when he had received his kingship, he he sends messengers that he plans to return. But they were filled with their own desire for power, and so they threw these servants, these messengers, out of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. And they did it more than once. And then finally the, the, the king says to himself, I know what I'll do, I'll send my only son. And then surely they will respect my authority and they will you know, um, heed his message that I'm returning. And instead they kill him. Mm-hmm. And then Jesus asked this really poignant rhetorical question to the chief priests and Pharisees who's, whom he's addressing. He says, what will the king do when he returns to the vineyard? Mm-hmm. And their imagination gonna start killing people. leads to the answer, yeah. he will slaughter them and throw them out of the vineyard. Yeah. Because that is, the, that is the, the understanding of what it means to be a king in, in human civilization at that time. And what, what we thought was just a parable turns out to be exactly what would happen to Jesus. He comes 
to be crowned king, to, be, to enter the vineyard again, to, to bring the news that God will be king. Let me say it that way. That God, God's kingdom is coming, mm-hmm. and he's killed for it. But then from the throne, from the inaugural moment, when the, the cross, disciples who probably heard that story are expecting him to come in and just start, well, not come in, he's already there, but to, to as king, act in power and exact his revenge. Right. Then he answers his own question. What will the king do when he comes? He, he's not slaughtering them. He's forgiving them. In his forgiveness, which is one of the most powerful points of the Bible, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, moments of mm-hmm. the Bible. But in his forgiveness, he says a reason. Forgive them because they do not know what they do. Mm-hmm. If they knew what they were doing, would they not be forgiven? A follow question. Mm-hmm. Two questions. How many times are we doing things and not doing it? And do we just get automatic forgiveness for them if we do them in ignorance? Well, I think in this situation, God is being very generous by evaluating our actions as ignorance Mm -hmm. and the actions of those who crucify Jesus as ignorance. It seems to me they know very well what they're doing. Yeah. But... God reserves, you know, I think because of God's superior knowledge and wisdom and, and, and sight, uh, the possibility of forgiveness and reconciliation, uh, because ultimately he sees not just the innocent, but also the guilty, mm-hmm. uh, the, the powerless and the powerful, as subject to forces that they are ignorant of, forces that they can't control, forces like the, um, the allure of the mob, mm-hmm. which you talked about on the soccer field, Th- that when people start to chant, it is almost impossible for us as human beings to resist that urge. You know, and, and Jesus knew that about his own disciples. He said, all of you will abandon me. Mm-hmm. And to Peter, who said he was willing to die with him, he says, you'll deny me three times. Before the rooster crows. It's a scandal. It's a stumbling block that we are blind to. That's our ignorance. That we believe in our heart of hearts that if we were there, we would have done something else. But that just reveals our ignorance and our blindness to the, to the frailty uh, and the weakness that we have as human beings. And God, in, in God's generosity reserves the right to forgive us even even if we do we we do participate with malice that there's still some things that we didn't know or didn't understand that can trap us things that are beyond our control outside of our power like i said either structures and systems from a marxist perspective or from a pentecostal perspective demons and devils that are in spirits that are influencing us not as individuals but as a collective to um, turn our violent anger against innocent victims so we tend to always always go right to early to mid 30s Germany Hmm. but we shouldn't because it's happened again since it happened before it happens all the time 
Yeah. But it's it's so common for us to ask that question. Well, why would you go along with such horrible things? Mm-hmm. And the answer is because, well, really, everyone is. Yeah. And in, when that happens, you you stop seeing it as horrible and just start seeing it as the way things are. And yeah. I guarantee you there's something going on right now yeah. that maybe even I'm participating in that one day I'll look back on and say, well, why did I go along with that? Right, yeah. It, it's just so easy. Yeah. Satan's power is to create peace through violence. Uh, that's not God's power. Or peace with violence. Like yeah. an okayness with violence. And, and that's what we see in this friendship that forms between Pilate and Herod. Yeah, they didn't like each other. Now, hey, we, we just we just sold this part, guy out the river. Yeah. Let's and have that, a beer. You know? That makes us brothers. We're chums now. Yeah. And I think Christ's inauguration by going to the cross announces a new era, uh, which, you know, we are still imperfectly living into, but one in which we have the, we have the lessons here in the in the Bible and the lens through which to see and perhaps make different choices. Uh, and, and I believe that that actually is work that is in process, that we are that we are actually getting better at, at recognizing when the mob mentality is about to convert us into murderers. So is the power of that statement that the people did not know what they were doing, but Jesus did and forgave them anyway? I think so. Yeah, I think I would have to say so. I mean, Jesus Jesus uh, sees the game that's being played, mm-hmm. you know. And in fact, we read in, uh, I think Paul is who says that if, 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 if the devil had known what he was doing, he would not have killed he would not have tried to kill Christ. Or if I think maybe it's actually I'm misquoting. If Pilate had known what he was doing, he would not have crucified Christ. Because it makes him a martyr and yeah, yeah. And, and, and starts Christianity. Yeah. And that that's one of the things you gotta wonder about when you read the Bible. Like, should Judas be a hero? Because hmm. it you know, for Paul, all of Jesus' ministry happens right now. Hmm. This this is the death, burial, and resurrection, that's it. And that's that's it for Paul. That's what Jesus was all about. That's why he was here, etc. If you don't get that without uh, without uh, Judas hmm. and Pilate and Herod and the gang, then maybe they're heroes because they bring us this action that must happen, and we know it must happen. Look at the Garden of Gethsemane. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out. But you know, your will be done. Okay, fine. I think I would not go so far as to say it had to happen. I think, uh, yeah, and I think I would I would be uh, Paul, Paul would, yeah. yeah. So I so I I I recognize that I I would be differing from many theologians and and even authors of scriptures, uh, authors of scripture on on whether or not the crucifixion was necessary, but I do believe that uh, that the forgiveness that Jesus offers from the cross includes people like Judas. Mm-hmm. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. You know, Judas was participating in something that was far bigger than he could understand. He had no idea. He had no idea. And, I mean, we have evidence of this because Jesus broke bread and dipped it in the cup and ate with all of the disciples, including, including Judas. Judas. Including Judas. 
he knew at that time and said so that somebody will betray me. Go do what you gotta do. Yeah, and and and, and in the first act of the sacrament that we call communion or, or Eucharist, he shared his body and his blood with the person who would betray him. Leading to him sharing his body and his blood with all, all of us. us. Yeah. So I hope that this is helping you out. So since this won't be aired until after you have spoken today, what are the people who are going to hear this who maybe didn't come to First Methodist gonna miss? Well, it's meant to be a lunchtime service. No, I'm not talking about the service. No, your message. My message? You, you got it nailed down? What's the... I mean, I think you just heard my message. Okay. That, that Christ is king. And there was nothing that uh, we could do to stop his enthronement. Of course, the way that he was enthroned is, is tragic. But thanks be to God, uh, from the throne, Jesus chooses to exercise authority through forgiveness and mercy. He wields his power by forgiving, yeah. by using pardons. Rather than um, the, the vengeance that he was fully justified to, to have enacted, he chooses instead to forgive. And that's a, that's a great blessing and a great mercy. It's amazing. It's, it's such a moment of humanity being put on the cross and dying. And yet, what he chooses to do in that so human moment is to do something that I don't think any human would be capable to do, of doing, certainly not myself. Mm-hmm. If I'm on that cross, man, I'm thinking about ways. If I can get down, y'all all in trouble. You know, <laughs> just gonna be open up a can up in here. Yeah, I mean, think about the guile of these folks who are taunting him from the from below the cross. Casting lots. Yeah. Anyway, that that tunic's gonna be worth something. Thanks be to God that we have, uh, yeah, that we have a merciful God. Yeah. All right, well then, for Pastor Potluck, I'm Court Green. And I'm Peter Constantian. And I've enjoyed talking to you today, and I hope that we'll be able to continue these and that the next, you know, David Green out of the gate doesn't say, hey, i got a scheduling conflict. I hope we can make this stuff work, but we'll, we'll certainly try to line them up and continue to do this. Peace, folks. Peace.